0: Amen, yeah. Good morning, Relentless Church. Morning. My name is Raf. For those of you I haven't had the pleasure of meeting, thank you for coming. Say thank you for choosing to worship with us. I'm excited to be here with you all. Uh, I wanted to start out just by saying thank you, like big fat. Thank you to to you just for being just such an amazing, generous church. So from us as a staff and leadership, thank you, Relentless, for being you all. Okay, yesterday uh, we had the uh, uh, Angel Tree Wrap Party in this room. And I mean, when I tell you, we had hundreds of presents, hundreds of presents donated by you all that we wrapped. Yeah, amazing. Going out to just... Dozens of, of families, and uh, it's just really cool to see how God, God is moving and, and, and using us. We get to be a part of him blessing these families this Christmas and, and showing the love of Jesus in this way. It's a really tangible way for us to do that, and it, it doesn't happen without you also, so thank you so much for that. I also want to let you know along those lines, um, we have another partnership with a a local elementary school here uh, in Garner called Bryan Road Elementary, and uh, we've done some, um, at the beginning of the year, we did a school supply drive and things like that for them, but I wanted to let you know, because we we haven't yet, that they also have an angel fund, which feeds uh, hungry kids at the school who can't afford um, lunch, and so we were able, again, because of your generosity and giving to to the church, we were able to provide over 150 meals for kids and their angel fund there this year, um, which is really cool. And... Uh this, this past week, uh, the social worker from, from the school actually reached out, and, you know, she prefaced it, it, was like, you all have been beyond generous, thank you so much for all that you do, um, I want you to know that, but we, we have a need that just came up, and we thought of, we thought of you all, but apparently there's a couple, a couple little kids, a brother and sister in that school, who had been making fun of, to, being made fun of to the point that they were in tears in her office, and uh, they were the same, because they were the same Close to school every single day. And, and so she reached out and said, hey, can you help these kids? And we are able to, to, to bless them with a, a, a few outfits apiece and a brand new pair of shoes. And um, the, the social worker, when we brought the gifts to her for the, for the kids, like she was in, she was in tears and, and was uh, moved to the point of tears. And, and I just, I share that all to, to, to say this. Again, thank you for your generosity, but please know it's making an impact in our community to the point where when they think, hey, we need help, Hey, Relentless Church is there to help us. And that's a big deal, y'all. That's a big deal. And so um, grateful that I get to be a part of a, of a church like this. And so with that said, let's jump in. Christmas for all. This is week two of our Christmas series. Pastor David did an amazing job kicking us off last week uh, with the message about doubt. We looked at um, the angel coming to visit Zechariah and, and, and the same angel coming to visit Mary and telling them both that, that they were going to have these, uh, uh, that, that Mary was going to give birth to the Savior and that Zechariah, uh, his wife, was going to give birth to, to the son who who they named John, John the Baptist, who had paved the way for Jesus and how both of them in those instances express doubt, right? And the whole, the whole point, the bottom line last week was the presence of doubt does not mean the absence of faith. It's important we understand that because we all are going to experience doubt in, in this life, in our, in our journey as believers in Jesus, doubt can actually grow your faith. But the key is to, to allow it to draw you closer to God, not, not push you away from him. So that's kind of where we were last week. Today we're going to continue looking at the Christmas story as recorded in Luke chapter 2. And more specifically, I want to focus in on the fact that when God decided to announce the arrival of the Savior of the world, his son Jesus, he did it to a group of shepherds who were considered outcasts in their society. I don't know what comes to mind for you when when you hear that word outcast. I don't know what you picture or who you think of. Maybe it's a specific person. Maybe it's a group of people, a class of people. Maybe you would even identify yourself as an outcast. Um, So so that's kind of where we're going. Before we jump into that, I did want to share a story. Um, My family and I were playing a game. We had kind of a family game night. We were playing a game called um, Do You Really Know Your Family? Do you really know your family? And so it's my wife and I and our kids playing this game, it's basically like um, a card game. You pull a card and the card has a question and you read it and, and come up with an answer for yourself and then your family has to guess your answer to see how well they know you, okay? And, you know, whoever guesses the most right is the winner, gets the most points. And so on this particular night, it was my turn, I picked a card and the question was, what do you appreciate most about the person to your left? Okay, and uh, the person to my left was my son RJ. Okay, I got three girls and a boy, and so my son RJ's to my left. No, no sooner did I, I even finish reading the question when my oldest daughter goes, He's a boy! <laughs> like, <laughs> no. That is not what I appreciate most about him. Thank you very much. Followed by my, my other daughter, Gigi, who goes, Well, he's the favorite. I'm like, come on, y'all. Like, that is not it's not true. Why do you say it? So, you know, we're working our way around the room, but guessing my son, and, and again, this is what do I appreciate most about him? And he goes, I'm handsome. Yeah. <laughs> you certainly don't lack confidence. That is that is for sure. <laughs> um, but the truth is, man, this kid, the reason his daughters, uh, my daughters answered that way is because, honestly, this kid, he does live a pretty charmed life. Like, he walks around like he's like the little prince. So I call him sometimes. Like, he called me the other day. I'll just give you a quick example. My, my wife was bringing him home from basketball practice. They were, like, on the way home, and he had her call me, and I can hear it on like, speaker in the car, because he wanted me to know he was almost home, and he wanted his food on his plate, like, ready when he came in. I said, <laughs> think you are Are you kidding me right now little prince right I give him I give him a hard time you know the truth is though recently here he's been going through a difficult time he's been going through a difficult season really the past month or so we've noticed some changes in him you know just some behavioral things just acting out in ways he never had before I should have said this but my answer to that question by the way in the game was he's so he's sweet that's it, like, he's always been the sweetest kid, just cares about others and looking out for the people and all that. So that was the thing, is the thing I admire most about him. But, but more recently here, he hadn't been as sweet, okay? He's been fighting with his sisters more than usual, just talking back and just doing things that seem out of character from him to the point where my wife and I, what has happened? What's going on with our, our sweet little boy, you know, and, and, and finally it, it came to a head after he had a couple of consequences and he's in his room and we've had multiple conversations with him and finally I sit down to talk to him, trying to get to the bottom of what's going on and we're kind of getting ready to do his prayers that evening and, and, and finally he opens up and I'm like, buddy, what, what is the deal, man? What's going on with you? And, and he's got tears in his eyes and looks up and he just says, dad, I've just been feeling really left out lately. Like, what do you what do you mean? You know, tell me more. What do you mean you're feeling left out? And he goes into this whole thing at school. He had these couple of friends, these buddies in his class who he's really Tight with. They would play every day at recess. Well, now there's a new kid in class, and his friends are playing with that kid, and they're not playing with him anymore. And he's feeling left out. And then add to that, he was playing soccer on the uh, at recess, and 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 apparently got pushed and fell and skinned his knee and was crying. And all the kids saw it, and he's embarrassed, and he's on his feelings about that. And then add to the fact that he used to be the baby. Again, we call him little prince. We got a little princess now. She's about one and a half. My daughter Nina. She gets all the attention now. She's the baby, and he's just his older sisters don't play with him anymore he's feeling some kind of way, right? And, and, and it's, it's to the point where now he's, he's acting out as a result. Now, here's a kid, again, who, who his sisters call the favorite child, who, who I, 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 I just said, right? He's, he's, he's the little prince, right? And, and, and from our perspective, from everyone on the outside looking in, he really does live a charmed life. But in his own mind and in his own little heart, he feels like an outcast, And while I may not necessarily agree with his assessment or see things exactly the same as he does, it doesn't change the fact that that's how he really feels. That's how he really feels. And the truth is, we've all felt that way at one point or another, haven't we? Like we've all, just like we talked about last week, we've all had doubts. We're all skeptics. We are all lost, or at least we have been at one point or another. And most of us know what it feels like to be the outcast. And I think that's why God all throughout scripture, is so intentional about demonstrating his love for the outcast. I think that's why Jesus in his life and in his ministry went to such great lengths to, to, to make sure that we knew he came for the outcast, for the, for the lepers and the, the tax collectors and the, and the drunkards and the prostitutes. That's why he was always spending time with them to the point where he got the label friend of sinners and he picked it up and put it on like a badge of honor. That's why he, he was always reaching out to the poor and the marginalized and, and trying to meet their needs. That's why in a society that, that casts children aside, he said, no, no, let the little children come to me. And he said, y'all would do better to be more like them. In a culture that, that said women had no place, he elevated them. This is who Jesus is. This is who God is. This is the heart of God. He loves the long shot. He came for the outcasts. And so it's not an accident. That on the, the day of Jesus' birth, the message of his arrival was announced, not at the palace to the king, not even in the in the temple to the to the chief priests or the religious leaders, but in a field to a group of lowly shepherds. So that's where we're going today. Before we do, I just I wanna give you the context for what's going on in Luke chapter two. Uh, when, when Jesus comes into the world, okay, I think it's important we understand what, what we're looking at there. So, starting in Luke chapter 2, verse 1, in those days, Caesar Augustus issued a decree that a census should be taken of the entire Roman world. This was the first census that took place while Quirinius was governor of Syria. So, right here in the, from the beginning, okay, Luke is anchoring his gospel in history okay, by tying his account to known verifiable historical figures. It's Luke's way of, of telling us that, that that what he has recorded are real events, that this really happened, okay. And so he talks about Caesar Augustus. If you're not familiar with who he is, uh, he was born Octavian, okay, and he was the nephew of the great Julius Caesar. I mean, Julius Caesar didn't have a son, and so he, he kind of adopted Octavian as his son. He named him his heir, and so when Julius Caesar... Died. There was a a civil war in the Roman Empire. There was basically these factions that were fighting for control of of the greatest empire in the world. Okay, and so this this civil war went on for about 20 years. Okay, and it was Octavian, again Julius Caesar's nephew, and he was going against uh, Mark Antony, who was one of uh, Julius Caesar's like best highest generals. And he had teamed up with Queen uh, Cleopatra, the queen of Egypt. Okay, so lots of money and resources and armies from Egypt at his disposal. Again, these, these battles, this war goes on for decades. And then finally Octavian wins. He wins out. He becomes the emperor of Rome. And he gives himself the title Caesar Augustus. Okay, and that title was to elevate him above any average man. It was to put him up in the realm of of, of God. He was known as a savior, as the savior to the Romans, okay? And so for decades, the Roman world, the known civilized world at the time was wrecked by war, destruction, brutality, immorality. And this tells us something important about the world that Jesus was born into. It was a world that was hungry for a savior, desperate for a savior. And and for many of them, again, they looked to Caesar Augustus as the the political savior. He was the political savior at that time. Again, because he brought with him uh, money and riches from Egypt after winning winning the war, he, he was able to pay the soldiers and stabilize the Roman economy. He expanded the empire more than anyone else. He brought in a reign of peace. And so for many, they looked at him and they called him savior. But for God's people, the Jews, they knew better. They knew they were still waiting for the Messiah for the real Savior to come. That's the context of Jesus coming into the world. Verse 3, and everyone went to their own town to register. So Joseph also went up from the town of Nazareth in Galilee to Judea, to Bethlehem, the town of David, because he belonged to the house and line of David. He went there to register with Mary, who was pledged to be married to him and was expecting a child. Okay, and so so uh, Caesar Augustus, as a great, you know, politically astute, he was very um, brilliant as far as administration goes. So he establishes the census as a way to be able to tax everyone. He's like, I want to know who every single person is in the empire so that I can tax them so we can keep the money going and we can keep the wheels turning on this machine as we expand, right? And so he also was known to have... Um, he was sympathetic to the nationalistic feelings of his subjects. And so he knew, as big as the Roman Empire was, there were people from different cultures and backgrounds and places and traditions. And so one of the things he did was, when he established his census, he said, I want everyone to go back to their hometown, to their their, their town of family origin, in order to be counted for the census. And in doing this, um, he kind of softened the blow a little bit. Like, yes, you have to travel. Yes, you got to pay taxes. But at the very least, they get to go home. Maybe they'll see some family spent time with relatives that they had not seen in a long time, okay? And so that's kind of what's going on here with the census. Now, Mary and, and Joseph got to make their way from Nazareth to Bethlehem. It's about a 70-mile journey, okay? Um, so you see here on the one hand the power of the Roman emperor, Caesar Augustus, who at, literally at, at his command, at the sound of his voice, the entire world moves, like literally jumps into action, okay? That's, that's, that's power, right? On the other hand, I'm reminded of Jesus' own words. In in John chapter 19, uh, when when he's confronted by the governor, Pontius Pilate, and and, and here's what he tells him. Then Pilate said to him, are you not speaking to me? Do you not know that I have power to crucify you and power to release you? Jesus answered, you could have no power at all against me unless it had been given to you from above. So so here's this powerful Roman governor telling Jesus, hey, I don't know if you realize this, but I hold the power of your life in my hand. And Jesus' response is, no, actually, the only power you have was given to you by my Father in heaven, so I'm good. I'm good. Right? And that, that, that's the same principle that applies here to Caesar Augustus. Whatever power he has, yes, he's the most powerful man in the known world, but whatever power he has is given power. Make no mistake, God is still in control. And God had promised that the Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. Okay, prophesied through scripture in the Old Testament, and that promise would be fulfilled. So, so how does one get a young pregnant couple from Nazareth down to Bethlehem when they might not be inclined to travel? Wouldn't it be just like God to work through the political savior of the world in order to use him as a pawn in his grand scheme, his grand plan to deliver the real savior of the world? Verse six, while they were there, the first time came for the, excuse me, while they were there, the time came for the baby to be born. And she gave birth to her firstborn, a son. She wrapped him in cloths and placed him in a manger because there was no guest room available for them. So Joseph and Mary make their way to Bethlehem, and, and because it was such a small town, and again, so many people were traveling uh, for the census, were, everyone had their families in town, there's nowhere for them to stay. So, so literally, they have, to, they have to sleep outside, okay, with the animals, and that's where she gives birth to Jesus. And so Luke is painting this very vivid picture of the world Jesus is born into, and it's a picture of intentional contrast. Okay, I want you to I want you to see that clearly. Okay, on the on the on the one hand, you you have um, Caesar Augustus, the the political savior that the world thinks they want, and then on the on the other hand, you have you have the savior that we really need, the only real savior, Jesus Christ. Okay, and and one has all the money, all the political power, all the prestige, the armies at at his beck and call. Okay. Um, Pretty much everything the world has to offer, he's got it in the palm of his hands. The other could not have been born into more humble circumstances, right? Literally found lying in a manger, which is a feeding trough for animals, okay? As I was studying this, I came across uh, this quote in in a Bible commentary. He said, God allowed Caesar Augustus to rise to unheard of human power for many reasons. In some ways, he was like a Roman John the Baptist unknowingly preparing the way for Jesus. But at the end of the story, what is important is Jesus. Who does the world know more today, Jesus or Caesar Augustus? Who has a more lasting legacy? I think what Luke is trying to communicate to us here is Jesus didn't come to be another king in our world. Okay, don't, don't, don't. make no mistake. He came to usher us into his kingdom. He came to bring a whole different kind of kingdom. In fact, Jesus in his own words said in John 18, my kingdom is not of this world, right? The kingdom of God is is, is in many ways contradictory to the kingdoms of the world, right? He does things that's almost upside down, right? So so in the kingdom of God, the last shall be first and the first shall be last, remember? The the proud are opposed and the humble are lifted up. In God's God's kingdom, radical generosity is not the exception but the norm. In In the kingdom of God, there are no outcasts because they've been brought back into the family of God. Luke is setting the expectation here. The king has come. The king is here, in fact, and his kingdom does not, nor will it look like or operate like the kingdoms of the world do. And that's a good thing. It's a good thing. Now, enter the shepherds, verse 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby keeping watch over their flocks at night. So again, shepherds in those days were considered outcasts, okay, both religiously and socially because they lived in the fields with their animals and they kind of traveled like nomads uh, along the countryside. They were not able to keep up with all the Jewish laws and regulations and ritual cleansings, and so they weren't allowed to, to, to worship in the temple. They weren't even allowed in the temple, okay. Not only that, but many, many of them were, were considered outcasts. Um, uh, untrustworthy. They were known to be thieves, maybe helping themselves to things along the way as they, as they traveled along the countryside. Um, and as such, they were, uh, a Jewish tradition was they, they were not allowed to give testimony in court, okay? So again, these are social religious outcasts. Now, these specific shepherds in Bethlehem, okay, Bethlehem shepherds were known to care for the temple flock, Meaning that they looked after and cared for the the sheep that belonged to the temple where everyone where everyone worshipped. Okay, meaning they were looking after the sacrificial lambs of the temple. Okay, if you're not familiar with with sacrificial lambs, what that means is. Um, before Jesus went to the cross, the only way for man to get right be, with God because of our sin was, was to sacrifice an animal. This goes back, way back to, to, to the very beginning in Adam and Eve when they, when, when they sinned for the first time and realized they're naked and they're hiding behind a bush. And it says God actually killed an animal and fashioned clothing for them. And, and blood was spilled for the first time there to cover up our sin. And from then on, that would be the tradition. And so these these, uh, perfect unblemished lambs would be brought to the religious leaders, the high priests in the temple, and they would be sacrificed to God on behalf of the sins of the people in order to make them right with God, okay? So these shepherds are looking after most likely those lambs. Could it be that God chose to announce the good news of Jesus' birth to these outcast shepherds, possibly those caring for the sacrificial lambs of the temple as a foreshadowing of the gospel? And Jesus' ultimate sacrifice, as the Lamb of God on the cross for the sins of the world." There's so much going on here that I think Luke is trying to communicate to us. Verse nine: "An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. That phrase, "The glory of the Lord shone around them and refers to God's glorious presence." It is the same phrase that the Apostle Paul used uh, when he was giving his testimony uh, uh, when when he came face-to-face with Jesus on the the road to Damascus. And a blinding light shined him and knocked him off his horse. And it was the glory of the Lord that shone around him. It was the presence of God right there with him. This is the same phrase that Luke uses here. So interrupting this quiet, dark night, Luke says, was the shining presence of an angel and the glory of the Lord, God's presence, surrounded them and apparently they were they were scared they were afraid which i think is a normal human react reaction verse 10 but the angel said to them do not be afraid i bring you good news that will cause great joy for all the people today in the town of david a savior has been born to you he is the messiah the lord so the angel says don't be afraid don't be afraid i bring good news great joy for all the people, okay, for all the people. That good news is that a Savior has been born to you. And so they announced the birth of the Savior, which was and is exactly what the world needed, right? But it wasn't the Savior they were expecting. Remember, Romans called Caesar Savior, okay, but this was the Messiah. This is Jesus Christ, the King who was promised, the one who God's people had been waiting for. As I, as I studied this scripture and dug into it, these two phrases really just jumped out at me, okay, the first one is all the people. All the people. Now I'm gonna pause here for a second. This is I want to go too into this because um, I don't want to step on Pastor David's message for next week. So I'm just gonna tease this out, right? But all the all the people, right? God is uh, he, he's referring here to a promise that God made to Abraham way back in Genesis, all nations, right? goes all the way to revelation every tribe every tongue every all I'm going to tell you is this right what we are doing what you are a part of the multi God's multi ethnic church it's not a it's not a fad it's not an idea that we had oh let's get all some people from different backgrounds in a room let's be intent-. like the reason we do this is because God called the shot and said this is what his church is going to be and and what I want y'all to know is that that God's multi ethnic church is a part of the Christmas story Pastor David's gonna flesh that out more for us next week. For today, what you need to know is all people means all people. Like all, you can look it up in the Greek, in the Hebrew, and Aramaic or any other language. All people means all people. Means that it means them. Right? Someone came to your mind when I said them, right? You know what I'm talking about. It means them, means them too. All people means all people, means them. All people means you. All people means you. Right? We we uh we're, we're talking through and planning this Christmas series. We we're trying to come up with uh, the title, and we landed on Christmas for, for All, and, and um, it comes from that verse, right, in, in verse 10. Do not be afraid. I bring good news that will cause great joy for all the people, and it just that felt right, and as I thought about it, I'm like, man, Christmas for All, yes, because Christmas for All means Jesus for All, right? Jesus for All. We had a friend, Um, who led a church up in Ohio, and uh, that that was kind of like their tagline for their church, Jesus for all people. And I love that, man. Jesus for all people. Like, yes, couldn't have said it better myself. Jesus for all people. I believe that, right? But but somewhere in the back of my mind, especially for me when I think of my own story and my own testimony and, and who I am and where I came from, I think, man, do I really believe that? Is that true? And for me personally, it's like I can believe it for you. I had trouble believing it for myself. Right, the struggle for me, man, I was a, a skeptic. I was, as a non believer, I wasn't sure if I bought into um, all this Jesus stuff. I didn't know if I believed in God or Jesus, any of that, right? But when I started warming up to it and I got to the point where I was like, okay, like maybe this is true. Honestly, it's like, maybe, I don't know if I'm fully on board, but if it is true, I don't think it's for me. I'm pretty sure I'm disqualified. I'm pretty sure because I know where I've been and what I've done and the thoughts I've had and things I've experienced. And if all the things I thought were true, I had a a really healthy misunderstanding of the gospel. And so I thought, man, even if all this stuff is true, it's not for me. And it wasn't until, you know, I I, I really started digging into scripture and and applying it to myself. And so when I hear John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son, that whoever puts their, their faith in him, their trust in him, they shall not perish but have eternal life. I, I got to the point where I, I believed that God so loved the world. But if I, if I replace the world with my name, for God so loved wrath that he gave his one and only son, I was like, Ugh, I don't know about that. I don't know if that can be true for me. And, 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 and so it wasn't until uh, Romans 5 verse 8 came, became real for me. That God proved his love for us in this, that while we were still sinners, Christ went to the cross for us. That that while I was actively turning my back on God, that on my worst day, he saw fit to, to, to go to the cross and take my place and take the punishment that I deserve for the sin in my life. When that became real for me, when I realized, oh, this is about a relationship, not religion. That I don't have to clean myself up. I don't have to follow all these rules. I don't have to achieve a certain status before I can have a relationship with God. That what he wants is to know me and for me to know him. And that that he wants to put the spirit, his spirit in me. And that day by day as I cling to him, I start to become more like him. And that's what this relationship is. And as a natural result, my life will change and things around me will change. If that's what it means to follow Jesus, when that became real for me, it was a game changer. Change everything. All the people means you, which leads to the second phrase that jumped out in verse 11. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. Born to you. I think it's intentional. It's interesting to me that the angel of the Lord started with good news for all the people, then immediately followed that that up with a Savior has been born to you personally, specifically, and and for me, again, maybe I'm just projecting my story into this, but but I can picture these shepherds out there. Again, these outcasts out there in the field. Angel shows up, gives them this good news, and, and they're like looking at each other, like, is he is he talking to what? Does he know who he's talking to? I don't know if he's talking to me. Is he talking to you? And they're like, look, man, I'm not that you must have the wrong guy. Cause I'm the guy who cares for the sheep that get sacrificed in the temple. You know, the ones that, that, are, that are there in order to make other people right with God. But I'm not even allowed in the temple, so you must not be talking to me. I don't think this is for me. I know you said all people, but, but I don't think you meant me. Meanwhile, God's like, yeah, I know exactly who I'm talking to. And all people means everybody. And everybody means you. Everybody means you. And he goes on to prove it. Verse 12, this will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in cloths and lying in a manger. The angel of God says, look, I'll prove it to you. Go ahead into town. And what you'll find is a baby lying in a manger. The Savior of the world lying in a feeding trough for animals. That ought to stand out to you. And when you see that, you'll know what I'm saying is true. Verse 13. Suddenly, a great company of heavenly hosts appeared with the angel. Praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. So the first angel's announcement, a whole group of, after the first angel's announcement, a whole group of angels then show up. Okay, that phrase, heavenly host, literally means an army of heaven. So there's an an army of angels, heavenly angels, just singing God's praises, saying glory to God in the highest heaven. And then they follow that up with peace, right, on earth, peace to those on whom his favor rests. Peace to those on whom his favor rests. This is a promise of peace from God to those who know him and are a part of his kingdom. Now, this is where um, there's a tension that we got to talk about. There's a tension between Luke chapter 2, verse 10, all people, and verse 14, for those on whom his favor rests. And it's the same t- tension that's at the very heart of the gospel. Okay? Yes, the good news of Jesus is for all people. But unfortunately, not all people will ever will receive and accept him as Lord and Savior. That's just the truth of the gospel. I can't hide that or skirt around that for you guys. Okay? That's, that's just the reality. The reality is each of us, on our own, left to our own devices, outside of Jesus Christ, we are, we are hopeless, helpless, and headed to hell. And, and the good news is that in Jesus Christ, we have salvation from that. That's, a, that's, a, that's an opportunity for all people. It's a choice that all people get to make for, for themselves. Okay, that's just the, the truth of the gospel. The good news means the other side of that is the bad news, right? So... What I want you to know today, though, is it's not about, because I've heard gospel presentations. I've been a part of gospel presentations where it's, it's presented like, man, we want it. We just, it's about getting to heaven and avoiding hell. And those things are, are, are true. They're in, they're, it's part of the gospel. It's not the whole thing. I want to make sure what we understand today is that it's not just about getting into heaven one day, but it's about living in freedom here and now, today. It's about having access to the kingdom of God here and now on earth as it is in heaven, like Jesus said, that we have access to that today. It's the life that God, that God that you were meant for, that he's promising us. And so God says to those that put their trust in him, he offers the peace that we so desperately need. Talking about an inner peace, right? A peace that, that doesn't make sense to the world. A peace that, that transcends any and every circumstance. A peace that, that only God can give says, I make this available to you. It's a promise for those who, who put their trust in me. As I think about uh, my, my son and his this season of feeling like an outcast, right? And, and, and I really didn't have much for him, right, other than like, man, this is going to happen in life, right? Like you're going to, unfortunately, sometimes your friends are going to let you down. Sometimes the world is going to knock you down. Sometimes mommy and daddy are going to mess up and we might let you down. I'm just going to be honest with you. But I was able to point to Jesus and say there's one person who will never, ever, ever fail you, who will never, ever, ever let you down. That, that Jesus comes and if you step into a relationship with him, he offers you a peace. He offers you a relationship to the point that you will never, you don't ever have to feel like an outcast again because you have him with you and in you and he's for you. And so so, so it turned into this beautiful conversation I got to point him to that wasn't like, hey, you get to go to heaven one day. It's like, no, you have access to the living God in you that will help you transcend any circumstance. It doesn't mean you're not going to have these hard times, but it means you have hope in the midst of them. And if he holds on to that, man, he's going to be okay. God wants, I think he wants that for all of us. That's the good news. So, so how do the shepherds respond to this good news? Verse 15. When the angels had left them and gone into heaven... The shepherds said to one another, Let's go to Bethlehem and see this thing that has happened, which the Lord has told us about. So they hurried off and found Mary and Joseph and the baby who was lying in the manger. So, how they respond? Let's go. (laughs) Let's go. Right, let's go, I love their their enthusiasm, I love that they they didn't waste any time, that they had this genuine sense of urgency. God said it, let's go, let's go see, let's go do it, right, I want to see it, I want to see it, and that's what they did. And what did they find? They found the scene exactly how the angels said it. And I love that idea, I love that picture of these these shepherds who looked after the the temple lambs to be the, the first ones to see the Lamb of God who came to take away the sins of the world. What they do next? Verse 17. When they had seen him, they spread the word concerning what had been told them about this child. And all who heard it were amazed at what the shepherds said to them. They told everybody. They, told, they spread the word. They spread the word. I told first service. I've been all week, I've been like listening to like um, uh, Go Tell It on the Mountain. And I'd like a sign of a good song is when it has multiple different versions and they're all good. You know what I mean? So there's like the rock one, like, you know, more like bluegrassy, And then there's like the gospel Maverick City version. And I love that one because he's like, tell, tell your mama, tell your sister, tell your friend. Like, I'm like, tell them, tell them, tell everybody, right? That is the only natural response if you truly believe that, that, that God put on flesh and came into the world to give you hope and to save us. And now we have a future and a problem. Like, tell somebody. Tell somebody. That's what we do. Let's go. See it for yourself. Get the confirmation you need. Then go tell everybody you can. That's what they did. And Luke says, that good news delivered by the shepherds amazed all who heard it. Man, I imagine, even those that didn't understand it, didn't quite get it, right? They knew something significant had happened. They were amazed. They were amazed. And he, as he wraps up, Luke tells us in verse 19, but Mary treasured up all these things and pondered them in her heart. Luke tells us Mary thought about these events again and again, right, and, and, and meditated over them in her heart, which, which makes sense with all that she had experienced and was a part of, okay? Luke's source for these early years of Jesus' life to, seems to have been Mary her, herself. Most scholars believe while Paul was in prison in Caesarea for two years that that. Uh, Luke made his way down to visit Mary and spent some time with her. And that's how he got all of this. He kind of downloaded all this information to put in the first, uh, as far as Jesus' early life goes, the first two chapters of his account. So verse 20, the shepherds returned, glorifying and praising God for all the things that they had heard and seen, which were just as they had been told. So so again, first these shepherds respond in faith. Let's go. Let's go see it for ourselves. Then they told everybody. They spread the word. And then it says they returned, okay, glorifying and praising God. They praise God. Now they return. Return to what? Did they go back to the field with the sheep? Maybe. I don't know. Did they <laughs> I ain't going back there. Did they go home, find their wives, tell their kids? Like, I, know, I wish I knew. I wish we had the rest of the story. 30 years later, when Jesus starts his ministry, were they in the crowd? Were they, were they following him? Were, they, were their kids? Like, I don't know, right? It's fun to think about. Here's what we know. Here's the only information God gives us. They return to whatever they went, right? Wherever they return to, whatever they return, they return praising and glorifying God. They return praising and glorifying God, right? That's the response, that's the response. I don't know what that looks like for you, right? Tomorrow we're all gonna return somewhere. We're all gonna return to work, to school, to class, to our teams, to, 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 to taking care of the kids, to whatever it is life has waiting for us. We will return. Will you return praising and glorifying God for his goodness? That's the response. The Christmas story is the story of the gospel, it's the incredible news of our rescue and adoption by God through Jesus and it really is good news for all the people. For all the people, Christmas for all means Jesus for all. All people means everybody. Everybody means you. The only question is how will you respond to that good news? If you if 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 you're someone who has never made the decision to put your faith in Jesus. If you're, if you're still curious about that, if you don't have a relationship with him, man, your response might be to, hey, investigate it. Let's just, let's go see. Let's go see. Test God in this. I would love to have a conversation with you about that. I would love to help walk you through that if, if, if that's where you are right now. If you've been following Jesus for a while, if you, if, if, if maybe um, You'd say, I got a relationship with Jesus, but I just, this story's become old to me, or I just, I haven't responded well. Wherever you fall on that spectrum, it demands a response. If we believe the good news is really good, if we believe that it happened, that Jesus put on flesh, came into the world, and offers us a relationship with him, hope, peace, a future, if that stuff is real, we got to respond. Tell somebody. Praise him. Return. Just go to work praising and glorifying God. That's a response that's acceptable. I promise you, God will bless that. But it's up to you to figure out what that looks like. How will you respond to the news? Let's pray. Jesus, thank you, Lord, for this day. We thank you for your word, God. We thank you for sending your son, Lord, to not just to come and take our place and, and, and to save us, God, but also that he came and lived a perfect life and identified with us, that he knows what we go through, what we experience, what we, what we feel like, that it's not lost on him, that, that he is a personal, that you are a personal God and that you love us each personally. Thank you that all people means all people. That means everybody, God. Give us your heart for all people. Give us your love for all people. God, help us, embolden us, encourage us God, as we leave here this week to, to step into whatever response you're, you're leading us to. Father, but we just don't want to stay the same. We love you. We praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. you have a great week. Come back next Sunday.